Welcome to the BMO Road to Recovery podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bulls. Businesses have begun to turn their focus to the future beyond the COVID-19 pandemic, but the playbook of the past won't work in the future. In this series, we hear from experts across a variety of industries and professions that offer ideas on how leaders can address some of the critical facets of work and life that have and will continue to fundamentally change how businesses operate. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Hello and welcome to Expert Conversations, a part of BMO's series on the road to recovery. I'm your host, Eric Bowles. To say 2020 has been a challenging year would be a major understatement. The COVID-19 pandemic, an economic downturn, unprecedented unemployment, and heightened racial tensions have made it more important than ever for leaders to keep a pulse on their employees' mental well-being. Joining me today are three experts who can offer insights into how people are feeling right now, how to understand what they need to help them through these troubling times, and some tools employers can offer to help. My guests today are Paula Allen, Senior Vice President of Research, Analytics and Innovation at Mournel Chappelle, Karen Collins, Chief Talent Officer at BMO, and Emily Deacon, Managing Director, Workforce and Mental Health at BMO. Welcome all, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Now to start off, let's rewind to the last, or, or actually to less than nine months ago. And that topic is gonna to be on prior to the pandemic. So number one, Paula, prior to 2020, what were some of the main stresses that people were feeling, especially as it pertained to work? I'm glad that you asked that question because uh, with everything that we've been through, very often we're thinking that prior to 2020 was perfect, there was no stress, and this is the first time it's been to our lives, which, which obviously was not the case. Uh, we did find that there has been an escalation of work stress. Like it, we've been seeing it over the past uh, five years. That's, that's the period that we mentioned. And uh, people are basically saying that the pace of change in the workplace, mental demands for work, all of those things were impacting individuals. Um, and there are a few other things that are, that were, that are impacting individuals as well from a, a, a stress point of view. And those showed up in work as well. So uh, one thing that we looked at was isolation, in a sense of isolation. Uh, that's been increasing in our community. It's increasing in our personal lives. We have a minister of loneliness in the, in the UK. It's, it's a public health issue, according to the Surgeon General in the US. And, and Health Canada is looking at it as well. But people are also feeling isolation in the workplace which is a, a bit of a, a, stress, a, a stress and certainly something that's impacting people's mental health. Uh, and the other thing that we were finding is financial strain was increasing. So people's perception of their ability to manage their finances. So all of those things, work stress, mental demands, change in the workplace, uh, isolation, finances, and, and ironically, all of those things are exacerbated as a result of the pandemic as well. Gotcha, gotcha. So none of those problems went away just because we have another problem that showed up. Um, none of those problems went away. <laughs> none of those problems went away. However, 
uh, with everything that we're facing right now, the need to be assertive, the need to take action and deal with them directly has never been more important. So a lot of things uh, in our lives that were we were just living with are, are now kind of escalated in terms of the importance and certainly work stress and personal stress and isolation and financial issues are in that group. Thank you so much, Paula. Uh, Emily, this question is for you. Uh, what are some ways that business leaders were helping employees manage their mental health? And how much focus was put on mental health compared to all HR functions like career advancement? Sure. Th thanks, Eric. That's a great question. I, you know, As Paula mentioned, this has been an issue that's been building for many, many years. And I think that organizations across all geographies, all industries, and, and of all sizes have been grappling with how to how to move forward and, and how to support their employees. You know, I, I would talk about three sort of tactics or, or areas of focus. And again, we could go on and on and on um, on this. I think the first and foremost that I would flag is that leadership commitment and, and ongoing communication. And it's about acknowledging um, the mental health of our workforce, acknowledging the challenges that they may be facing um, and opening up a dialogue to create that psychologically safe workforce where you can ask for help when you can need, when you need it. You can be supportive for others when they're looking for help. And so really role modeling uh, and, and opening up a dialogue across your organization is critical uh, for a leader, for our leaders. It's not an HR issue. This is a leadership issue and, and continuing that is, is so critical. You get into the nuts and bolts, which is sort of my second point, which is really the, the support tools that you provide for your employees. Um, and this can be a range of things, whether it's the benefits you provide through your programs, you know, providing coverage for visits to mental health practitioners, uh, providing employee assistance programs. At BMO, ours is for both our employees and their families, recognizing that, uh, that, that this impacts the whole family unit. Uh, and, and then potentially through different providers, looking at tips, uh, tools, resources that our employees can access to learn more, to educate, to find resources to support them. You know, at BMO, and, and I'll, you know, I'll speak a little bit about the partnership we have with Morno Chappelle, uh, who Paula uh, is joining us from today, you know, we utilize their LifeWorks platform for our employee assistance program. Um, and, and it's a critical part of our <clears throat> employee strategy. And, but it, it really bleeds into my third point, which is about that partnership aspect. It's leveraging the knowledge of subject matter experts. So finding those partners that can help you on the journey, um, who know what they're talking about, who have done the research, um, and finding ways to bring them in big or small to support your organization because uh, we cannot do it alone. And there's great resources and tools and research out there. Um, you know, one other thing I would flag to the group um, who are joining us today is um, in January of 2020, BMO had the opportunity to sponsor some work and partner with the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. Uh, and we developed uh, through them uh, a playbook. And it is a workforce mental health playbook that provides some really tactical tools and tips for leaders and organizations on how to tackle mental health in the workplace. There are resources like this out there available to everyone. And so if you haven't seen the CAMH playbook as a leader, I, I strongly encourage you uh, to take the time and find it. 
uh, you know, tackling in our own workplaces can then broaden sort of our, our focus on how as a society we're going to address the mental health um, crisis that, that is on us right now and is only growing through the course of the pandemic. Thank you so much for that, Emily. Uh, Emily, I wanted to, uh, before we leave uh, this topic about what things were taking place prior to the pandemic, um, you really emphasize that this isn't just an HR issue, it's a leadership issue. Clearly at BMO, it seems like you guys are kind of uh, ahead of the curve in that, but there's a lot of companies out there, a lot of leaders out there who are trying to react to what has taken place. What I know this is a little offset, but what are some of the methods, some of the tactics used to, to shift it from just maybe an HR focus and make it truly a, a, a company organizational-wide or a leadership focus? Sure. And, and I, you know, I don't want to pretend like we've solved this. It is something that we continue to learn and grow as, as I think most organizations do. And I think I would flag a few things. It's it's leadership advocacy and um, and putting themselves in front of the issue. And so we have a number of leaders across BMO who have um, uh, shared messages with our workforce, who have stood behind our actions and, and put up their hand, not to say we've solved, but that we are aware and we want to be part of the solution. And I think that that opens a level of trust and dialogue across the organization that I would encourage all leaders to do is you do not need to come to the table with an answer, uh, but coming to the table with an understanding um, and an openness to, to discuss the issues with employees and, and then find out what is going to work going forward. Thank you so much, Emma. If Karen or Paula has anything to add to that very question I asked about it going from not only HR focus, but truly a leadership focus, please chime in. The only thing that I would add is really just to amplify what uh, what Emily said. Um, in, in our experience, we deal with a number of different organizations, a number of different situations, and that that focus on leadership really wraps around the world twice in terms of the meaningfulness of of the impact on 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 employees. And and one thing um, that I didn't mention that I should have mentioned uh, was very much part of our pre twenty twenty experience was stigma you know, stigma about mental health issues in the workplace. And even though that had been going down, it's still very significant, is and was pre-2020. And having um, open communication about the importance of mental health, doing things as an organization that really um, makes it meaningful for employees to realize how important it is for individuals to take care of their, their, their mental health uh, investment in, in managers and their ability uh, to have those productive conversations, step in when uh, needed in a very appropriate way, not becoming counselors, uh, but really showing people that that one cares and that there, there are steps to take that can make things better. Those are really fundamental and very, very important in any kind of strategy. So it's the basics of people's experience and, and certainly something that I would amplify a, a, a thousand percent. Thank you, Paul. Okay, so moving from topic number one, dealing with the prior, talking about what took place prior to the pandemic, topic number two talks about the first half of 2020. So this first question is for you, Paula. How did the spread of the pandemic combined with escalating racial tensions 
affect the stress people were already feeling? And what are the common fears that people have today? Well, I'm going to give you the short answer and then I'm going to give you the long answer. <laughs> so uh, the short answer is it affected people's mental health in an extremely significant and unfortunately negative way. Um, we, um, we at Morna Chappelle, we launched a mental health index, which was something that we had actually been preparing for and collecting benchmark information and researching for three years. And our plan was to, to launch it in 2020 without the foresight that there would be a pandemic in 2020, but that's when we launched. Um, and what we found is that uh, we had a massive decline in indicators of mental health for the Canadian population. So uh, increased anxiety, decreased optimism, increased sense of isolation, which I'd mentioned to you before was a, was a problem decreased work productivity. And, and that was related to just ability to focus and concentrate. People might be working longer hours, but they're hard hours. So all of that um, actually had our population looking like the most distressed 1% of the population prior to 2020. So that's how much of a decline that we've, we've experienced. And um, the, the longer part of that answer is really, number one, why and, and what does it mean? And, and also the, the um, uh, addition of, of heightened awareness of anti-Black racism and, and other racial tensions. So if you look at what the pandemic has brought to us, it has brought change everywhere in everything. And most of us would know that change is stressful. Even the most positive changes, having a child, getting married, buying a home, all of that is stressful. Any change is stressful. But when you have a change in the way you work, a change in where you work, a change in how you spend your social time, a change in the dynamics because of you know different, different things that happen in terms of uh, families and how they, they interact, a change in your perhaps your expectations of yourself uh, financially, everything changed almost overnight. So the, the change upon change upon change upon change is very, very stressful. It kind of takes away a sense of our control. It takes away a sense of our predictability. And that does have a mental, mental health impact. There's really no way to avoid it. The, the other part of, of this is that the change was not particularly positive in most people's view. And it was also very unpredictable. So a few people might have thought that we would have, we were going to have a pandemic, but truly very few people understood the global impact and the impact on day-to-day -day lives of so many. So, you know, just to give you a sense about how, you know, it's, it's a, you know, just being not predictable has a strain. If, if you were to lose a loved one, if I were to hear that my grandmother had passed, um, you know, she's elderly, she's not well, of course I would feel sadness, of course I would feel grief. It would certainly not just pass over me, it would have an impact. If I were to hear that my teenage son took my car and was killed in a car accident, that's a totally different level. That's a totally, that's trauma, right? So not having that sense of predictability or fairness that added a whole other dimension. 
So, you know, we have people who went through normal stages of shock and denial. You know, everybody kind of goes through that. Um, then you start to feel, you know, angry or frustrated or anxious. You know, most of us feel that as well. That's normal. You know, that's, you know, no emotions aren't bad. It's when they take over you. That's when it gets bad. And uh, right now, some people are in a very difficult place, like they're starting to become that angry person or that frustrated person or that anxious person. And that's when we need to, to reach out and, and make sure that we get help because, you know, this situation is not insignificant. It's impacted all of us and all of us need to take some action, some more than, more than others. So that's the backdrop just of the pandemic. Um, you'd also asked about racial tension, um, increasing awareness of anti-Black racism, um, and that adds another level, particularly for some. So if I was to speak about um, people who are Black, you know, seeing what happened, and, and it was kind of triggered with, with George Floyd, that was um, unfair. It, you know, you're seeing videos that have made it feel, you know, particularly cruel, um, there was a sense of helplessness that this is happening and there's other situations. So it's still, like, there's so many elements that create trauma, another way of creating trauma. And also, you know, if, if one's history has had, you know, different and varying levels of race, racist, racist experience, each of those is traumatic. It's unfair. One feels uh, somewhat powerless in most situations. Having that all come up and having it resurge and having it be reminded of you with media, all of that is quite stressful. All of that is quite painful. Uh, and we have that on top of the backdrop of, of, of the pandemic. So, you know, there's a fair bit of anxiety just in general about how this is going to turn out. Is this going to be better? Is it going to be, is it going to be the same? Is things going to get worse? So another level of anxiousness. The one thing that I would say, though, is um, what has been very positive uh, around everything that has happened since George Floyd is that there is a level of transparency and there is a level of dialogue and there is a level of openness to listen um, that has really never been precedented. And that is extraordinary, and that is positive. And organizations have taken a lead with listening sessions and, and taking action. And that is, that is so important. So, you know, having, having any kind of a traumatic situation, any kind of trauma, and I mentioned pa pandemic and focusing now on the anti-Black racism, when you experience trauma, think about the first thing that needs to happen. You need to be able to speak. You need to be able to feel like you're heard. That's the beginning of problem solving, but that's also extremely critical from a psychological point of view. And we're starting to see that happen, which is which is positive. Oh, man, Paula, thank you so much for, for that. I'm going to ask you in just a second, what some things we can do to overcome some of these anxieties that are there, but you brought up something around not only the pandemic, I, I am just personally still amazed how something can change social co constructs so quickly, like just yeah. like that. And yeah. uh, and not only that, I, I know for myself, um, I've said many times that 
uh, sometimes I will pre- I will prefer unhappiness over uncertainty. <laughs> and we have we have received uncertainty surrounded by uncertainty surrounded by uncertainty. So uh, you know I am really uh, I have a, a a high level of empathy for so many leaders right now having to lead in an environment of uncertainty. It is. You know, not only are you being asked what to do, but in some cases, those being asked what to do don't know what to do, you know. And so to 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 empathize with each other is something significant. Any thoughts from any of the experts here on the panel in regards to this, what we're describing or talking about? Maybe what I'll do is I'll pick up on the word that you used, which I would which would have used as well, which is empathy. So this is at any point in time, empathetic leadership is important. It is never more critical than when you are going through a crisis. So it, and when you're, when you, when you are being empathetic, you're also being as clear and as honest as possible. We, you know, we are working through this together as a society, each of us as individuals with the individual beside you, who is, you're thankful who's wearing a mask with your work colleague, who you're thankful is, is, is communicating with you so effectively on, 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 on the video call with your organization, who you're thankful is there for you as well, but we're working it out together. So it's one of these things like in every sphere, organizations have had to really look at themselves, how they function, how to support their people, and essentially reshape some of the the things that they they are doing, build on some of the great things that they were doing before, look at gaps, you know, do, do, uh, do things that are for the moment, because you don't know what the moments later are going to be like, and you'll have to just deal with them at that point. And it actually parallels what what's what strong what what can be strong for people as well, because if you recall what I said, you know this pandemic has taken away a sense of control, a sense of predictability. What we can do as individuals is take some of that back by being very active in how you shape your your day. You know, as simple as that, your routine how you structure it. So you have your sense of accomplishment, you have some fun, you have some activity, you have all of these things that are needed. How you manage your emotions because you will have them and making sure that you reach out and speak to people. That's our natural response and reach out for professional help if you feel that kind of sense of being overwhelmed. Uh, A lot of people, regardless of their financial situation are quite anxious about the economy. And just taking control and taking stock of what you can do using the resources your organization has to help you understand how you can manage through uh, through uh, uh, you know any kind of contingency that takes back some control. And it's the same thing organizations are doing for people. Everything was blown up, but being there, being solid, being empathetic, communicating well. And making sure that we are building one step at a time, not taking one step at a time, but building. Uh, The best of organizations have done that very well and have actually seen some tremendous benefit in in their people as a result. Thank you. Thank you so much there, uh, Paula. Karen, I have a question for you. And Karen, uh, the question is, what can a leadership team do to monitor employees' changing needs and ensure they are getting the support they need to maintain their mental and physical wellness 
And I'm going to include on that question, how do you do this while continuing to serve customers? There's the, uh, uh, that mm. healthy tension. Thanks for the question. And let me just talk about a few things we're doing at BMO that, that may be helpful to others. We have a well-established culture of leadership listening. And as Paula just noted, as the pandemic and racial injustice issues emerged, we know this is even more important than it's ever been before. People, as Paula said, as Emily said, as you said, they're stressed. They're trying to navigate unsettling times. And many of us are doing that with reduced social contact. And everyone's doing that six feet apart and through a mask. And so social cues are harder to read. And it's harder for leaders to check in with their people. I'm probably stating the obvious, but I've heard from a lot of our leaders that as we round into month five, without the impromptu coffee or after work drinks or hallway check-ins or staff meetings, they're feeling like they're losing touch with their people's needs and their people need them even more than they ever have before. So as, as Paula mentioned, one of the key things we're doing is increasing our communications. That's been one of our edicts since the pandemic started. More frequent, less formal communications. And we've also been increasing our listening. And so we're a big company, and so we need to think of ways to listen at scale. And we're doing that by doing shorter, more focused and frequent employee surveys. Some of those surveys go out to the whole company, and some go to a smaller group, such as a geography, just maybe to the US business or to a business group. And the surveys that we ask, they're very short. They can be turned around quickly which is key so leaders get real-time results. It gives them insights into what their employees are feeling and what they need. And so our last survey, 86% of our employees told us who are working from home, they felt pretty good about their productivity, as good or better than it was pre-pandemic. So that helped us know where we're getting it right. And then we also got a lot of constructive feedback, some critical feedback, particularly through the verbatim questions we asked. We asked, what would lower your stress level and make you more productive? And our people told us. And now we have a short list of things that we're actioning to help our people and support their mental and physical health. health. Um, one thing we're doing, and Emily mentioned this a little bit, um, we're sharing communications about mental health and managing stress. And we're offering opportunities for employees to call into Ask Me Anything sessions with physicians, mental health professionals and parenting experts. And those sessions are open to people's families as well. And so they're recorded. So if someone's working during the day and they can't access the call, they can listen to it with their family at night and encourages dialogue with families. And we know families are part of the equation. And then as part of our health and safety focus, uh, my colleagues on the call mentioned, uh, we know our leaders are great bankers, but we're not doctors and we're not social justice experts, but we can share knowledge from those who are. And so our online learning platform called BMOU allows us to post resources. So our employees, if they have a break during their day working in a branch or, or at home, or if they're on their iPad anytime, have resources to help with some of the pandemic-related issues we've talked about, like social isolation, um, parenting challenges associated with having kids at home while you're trying to work. And then we also have resources about racial injustice and combating racism. 
And so what I am encouraging our leaders to do and what I'd encourage our listeners to do is use those resources as a prompt to check in with people and encourage open, authentic, empathetic dialogue about how they're doing and ask the question, how are you doing physically? How are you doing mentally? And as we're doing that, we're getting really good feedback from our people that our leaders are understanding how they're doing, even if they're not physically together. Well, that is fantastic, Karen. Uh, not only do I um, um, just want to acknowledge uh, the, 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 those at the, the, the level of increased communication that you all are having, uh, but recognizing it's a both and world. That, that dilemma right now, I, I'm hearing from a lot of leaders uh, who are struggling with that tension and in, in the, the very practical uh, steps you just gave are gonna be extremely helpful for many. Um, one last question for you, Karen, in relationship uh, to that, especially with people working from home. And uh, if you can tell us, what are some of the things that you heard that would help with lowering stress levels for some of the folks? There may be a, a leader out there right now going, I, I wonder what are some of those things we can help, especially with the folks working from home, those increased stresses. Almost everyone has a Zoom meeting adjacent to another Zoom meeting. So uh, what were some of the things that you were able to uh, discover? Yeah, it's such a good question. And what we've learned is there isn't one size fits all. As we were prepping for the call, I was stressed that my puppy is going to come running in here and my kids are going to come down and ask me to make them lunch. And so I think it's just that authenticity that as we're all at home, we all have stresses and there are things that are infringing on our personal lives. And so really one having a bit of a sense of, as you said, we're all in this together. We're all dealing with these things. So let's let down the veneer. Let's talk about it a little bit. Let's express when we're feeling stressed out. And so I think it's that, um, and Paul used the word earlier, empathy that we can share with one another that is so, so important. We also talked about, and I think this is so key, is creating routines. When you work from home, you and I learned this very early in the pandemic, you can burn out doing something you love. So how do you create a routine so that at the end of the day, you actually end your day and you're not working well into the evening, cutting down on sleep, you're getting out, you're walking, you're getting exercise. So really, as we started to realize this wasn't a temporary situation, we're thinking about how do we thrive during the pandemic? And we do that by creating good and healthy routines that are good for us and good for our loved ones and making sure that we stick to those routines. And as leaders, we talk with our teams about the importance of doing that so they do the same thing. Oh, thank you, Karen. Love it. I love the question you guys said. How do we thrive through this pandemic, not just survive it, right? <laughs> Great. Mm -hmm. I like it. Um, I'm going to move us to topic number three, and I know we're getting close to the end of the time, but this content is so powerful. And thank you, experts, for these for these uh, comments. This conversation is about moving forward. Topic number three is about moving forward. Paula, this first question is for you. How are people feeling about returning to a post-pandemic workplace? And what are the long-term psychological effects that 2020 may cause employees that employers need to watch out for? Yeah. 
I, I, it's, it's really a, a mixed bag. Um, and I think the best way to actually look at it is that we're not really sure what that post-pandemic workplace will look like. So we have continued uh, anxiety. So, you know, in, in, if we were to poll, and we actually did poll in April, the majority of people felt that the disruption as a result of pandemic was going to be over in June. Well, June has come and June is gone. Uh, so we're looking at a very much longer horizon, but we're also looking at, you know, perhaps some permanent changes. So I think overall, you know, there is that kind of, you know, tentative hopefulness. Um, there is a, a tremendous amount of anxiety in some uh, because people are fearing, again, another change. So is it going to go back to the way it was before? Probably not exactly. Uh, is it going to go uh, back at all? You know, in some situations, not. You know, in some situations, people are going to continue to work from, from home. Uh, which might be a good thing for many. It might be a not such, such a good thing for some. Um, there is a portion of this population that of our population that has a high anxiety about returning uh, because they're worried about bringing infection back into their homes, particularly if they have children uh, or elderly adults living living at home. So that kind of assurance or that that view to the fact that your workplace is not going to put you into a position of harm. You know, we're working out how it's going to look. It might look different. It might change. It might need to be flexible. But the, the number one message needs to be that your employer cares about your well-being. That is your mental well-being. That's your physical health and safety. And that there's a lot of very smart people putting a lot of energy and making sure that if you do, when you do return, it will be safe. Um, just a continuation of the flexibility and, and, you know, it was mentioned, you know, taking down that formal veneer, it, you know, like it or not, that formal veneer takes up energy. It's not a lot of energy that people have to, to spare right now. So just being authentic in that ongoing communication, just continuing that flexibility if you, as to the extent that you can, because you will be like organizations are going to be asking the flexibility of their people all of that is important. In terms of the long-term mental health, it's still a bit of bit wait and see. What we've seen in our mental health index is that, you know, there's some people who are continuing to adapt, um, and we are in that short-term adaptation phase. Uh, what we need to see is how people respond if there is a massive second wave. Uh, you know, if, if if there is a return to the way it was in, in March before you've really gotten into a, a groove of your short-term adaptation, you know, seeming to move forward. So that's a, a little bit of an unknown. Um, we are seeing people who are adapting well and building skills and building strength, which is great. Uh, we are also seeing some people who are continuing to decline. So, you know, even as we're moving to reopen, even, uh, with everything that is going on that is positive, there are people who this has triggered some major risk and they're continuing to decline. So it's important to sort of make sure that even as everyone needs to have an action plan, no matter how well you think you're doing, <laughs> you are at risk in this, this period of high uncertainty. And there is going to be continuing risk. So having your plan, having your routine, knowing where to go, feeling comfortable getting professional support, that's for everyone. Um, but for others, people beside them need to step in as well. 
So if you see a colleague, if you see a family member, if you see your boss, anyone, any other human being who is not themselves, who doesn't seem to be thriving in any way, shape or form, who seems to have had, you know, that behavior change where they're becoming their anger or becoming their frustration or seeing signs of hopefulness, uh, the best thing that we can do is to show human concern, to show that you care, to show that um, that you've noticed something different, to recommend uh, that they, they, they get some professional support because not everybody can do it on their own. And having that, that hand out to just say, listen, I care and let's walk through this next step together because I want you to get the help that you need and wrap around the world twice in terms of changing the course of someone's life. Thank you so much, Paula, for that. Uh, Emily, I want to close uh, this with you. What are we, and we're talking about BMO, observing as we start getting employees back into the office? And what does this tell us about how we need to navigate Workplace 2.0? Sure. And, and let me start by saying, first, we had many employees who remained working on our work sites throughout the pandemic. We had core roles where they, the, the flexibility for, to work from home wasn't there. Um, and then we had a large part of our population that did quickly um, move to a work from home environment exclusively. And so that dynamic um, is, is as we are very slowly and, and carefully thinking about adding more people to the workplace, it, that dynamic of these different groups and how they're going to intersect in the short, medium and long term is so much a part of our planning. And you know, I'll share a, a few things that we've seen is you know, the group that we've had working from work uh, throughout uh, these many months got into that comfort routine, the predictability that, that Paula talked about. They knew who they were working beside. There was a common set of values about the health and safety practices in the office, and there was a comfort level. They were almost their own work bubble, that they were comfortable that they were all abiding by the same rules. And introducing new faces to that creates its own level of anxiety. It's more change when you were feeling... Um, that you were on the same playing field as everybody else and everyone was following the same rules. And so being very thoughtful about that dynamic has been critical for us and will continue to be. And, and you deal with that and you help manage that through really thoughtfully and slow introduction of new people to the workforce, communication about um, expectations and, and about the health and safety practices continuing and why they're there. Um, and then being able to pivot and learn as things evolve. So to the point of there may be surges, there may be things that, that um, we need to be prepared to move people back home. And so not being tied to our plan, we have a plan, but not being fully tied to it because we're going to need to be able to be flexible and pivot in many different ways. I think for the people who are returning to the workplace after working from home, um, after many, many months, there was a sense that finally things are getting back to normal. I'm going back to the office. I can't wait for it. But the reality is not that. They don't return to the workforce. Uh, it, they're, they're not necessarily at the same desk because of the dis social distancing. Um, there's, there's signs everywhere. People are wearing face coverings. It is, it's not the same. And so there's a, there's a bit of a, a relearning. Um, and we're seeing more people choose to remain at home because their role allows it. Um, because one, they're seeing they can be productive, and two, they're 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 not going back to normal. Everything has changed, and so 
when I think about how this guides us in the very unknown future of the workplace, because so much is going on, it's about thinking about how these different dynamics come together, being thoughtful of the people who continue to work from our offices, being aware, aware of those who would like to come back, but it's going to feel different and engaging in dialogue and, and willing, you know, there's a flexibility that we're starting to understand is available um, to a, a good portion of our employees to, to hybrid between home and work. But that also comes with a dynamic in the workplace that can create tension. And so we need to, to be mindful of that so that um, people continue to feel safe, they feel, feel productive. And, and I think you had said earlier, the customer remains at the center of all we do. And so being, being thoughtful, being uh, managed, not moving too quickly, and being willing to take a, take a right or a left turn as we go is, is going to be critical for us. You know, Emily, you, you just helped me a, a, a whole lot. I, I, my assumption and my expectations, you helped a lot of others as well. I have a one particular client who had some uh, of their folks who were essential, so they always remained in the work environment but their actual leaders work from home. Now they're re-entering the atmosphere and there is a real healthy tension taking place with that dynamic as well. I mean, there's so many different aspects and parts of this uh, that are fascinating. So I, I just, I, I, as we look ahead to 2020 from what Paula just shared, what you just got through sharing, uh, what Karen shared a little earlier, I just personally want to uh, thank uh, all three of you experts, uh, Paula, Karen, and Emily, for your uh, great conversation today. Uh, I know the, the, the audience who had a chance to hear it uh, enjoyed it as well. I do want to make this last statement in closing. I want uh, uh, those who are listening to remember to join us next Wednesday at the same time when we'll discuss the rise in virtual learning and visit bmo.com forward slash expert conversations. That is bmo.com, expert forward slash expert conversation for more details, as well as the schedule of other upcoming events. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Don't forget to visit bmo.com forward slash expert conversations. That's bmo.com forward slash expert conversations to watch videos with our experts and hear more insights from BMO. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Inc. and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. 
BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobal0.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure slash.